people don't want to be naked in the world. We self-select and choose what we share with other people. Financial privacy was one of the main reasons we got access to strong encryption. Currently, we've abandoned privacy for other economic pursuits. I think it's gotten pushed to the wayside, and now we can see the ramifications of it. Hi, and welcome. This is Web 2.5, a show where we invite operators to share the gritty, behind-the-scenes truth of what it's like to build the organizations of tomorrow while keeping teams paid, compliant, and running today. I'm Grace, co-founder and CEO of Domo. Previously, I led operations for early-stage Web3 startups. It was pretty painful, so I want to discuss the challenges that I and many others face in setting up and scaling crypto projects and how we might overcome them. In today's episode, we're talking about privacy and why privacy matters. I'm really excited to welcome Alan Scott, co-founder of Railgun, a privacy and anonymity system built directly on-chain on Ethereum, from which you can interact directly with decentralized exchanges, lending platforms, and popular smart contract applications. Web 2.5 is also a colloquial term which refers to the industry's progress towards a truly decentralized future. Censorship resistance and privacy are core tenets of decentralization. Understanding these ideas and the degree to which we've achieved these freedoms is, in my view, key for builders and operators in this space. If we kind of distill it back to like the core tenets of what crypto is about, self-sovereignty, censorship resistance, immutability, this kind of thing is really quite important. And I think one of the key parts of it is censorship resistance, right? I live in the U.S. We have a pretty friendly government. And we don't really have any issues when it comes to like banking, right? I can use my debit card, my credit card, I can get mortgages, I can lease a car, I can buy a car, I have access to all of the most esoteric different investment vehicles that you could have or want. But that's not the case everywhere, right? And so censorship resistance is really, really quite important, especially in countries where the perhaps the government isn't so friendly. I think privacy really plays a big part in that. I believe that censorship of someone that you can't track is incredibly difficult. And so if they can't see you, they can't control you. And I think that really flips the power dynamic back to the citizens of the world, if you will. If you were to distill this idea of privacy down into its most basic components, how would you describe privacy to someone? And why should people care about privacy as a human? First and foremost, there's a very easy straw man assembled against privacy. And that is bad actors want privacy to do nefarious things, whatever that may be. And in the case of crypto, it's to take and deal with their money in a private fashion. But I think that most people appreciate their individual financial privacy. If I were to put you on the spot here today and say, hey, how much is in your bank account? You'd probably not be inclined to tell me. Is that fair to say? Yeah, because yeah, it's none of my business, right? <laughs> and it, it shouldn't be. And that's totally fine. You know, that's the easiest way to get people to understand it. Most people appreciate financial privacy in that exact moment. It's like, yeah, how much money do you have? And none of your business is, is the immediate answer. But I think it's really important if we think about it from the like pragmatic purposes of privacy, businesses need it. So for example, let's say that you're a Toyota corporation and you have a special deal on lug nuts. You've negotiated some really great contract on lug nuts and you don't want the world to see the last thing you're going to do is make a decentralized ledger payment open to the public for this special piece of your supply chain to make sure that you're protecting these well-negotiated contracts and your competitive advantage. You don't want to take and do that on a public ledger, but this could be something as simple as doing payroll. For example, if you're a crypto company and you have some people who are electing to you know, receive their payments in crypto, whatever it may be, 
you should be doing that in a way that doesn't dox their financial privacy. In fact, there's a lot of rules and regulations around financial privacy when it comes to payroll around the world. I think there's a lot of pragmatic need for it in business. Also, governments need it when it comes to national security and state secrets, this kind of thing. Perhaps it doesn't make sense for us to know on a public ledger where their secret agents are being paid. Probably not a good thing, but even a little bit different than that. So let's say, for example, you go to your local coffee shop and you swipe your credit card or your debit card. They actually don't get to learn anything about your financial health, if you will. The only thing that they get to see when they look at their little Ingenco thing is that it's approved and they hand you your coffee or it's declined and they go in that very awkward way, uh, says it's declined. However, if this were crypto in the new rails of the world have taken over, you would find our financial data exposed, not only the history of it, but they could continue to track you into the future. And this is something that people can consider, but I think we have to think about the other side as well. In order for there to be institutional adoption of crypto and have companies take and want to accept crypto and do it in a peer-to-peer fashion, like we ultimately believe will happen in DeFi, they're not going to want us to be able to see their bank account either. And so I think that there's a lot to be said about the importance of financial privacy. And the last note I guess I'll put on that is that we have to be really careful I think there is a lot of examples of financial privacy, especially in crypto that have happened already where people took and used Tornado Cash to take and create a new wallet, seed it with some ETH and then donate to the cause over in the Ukraine. People who are running nonprofits in less than ideal places in the world will need privacy. And so if we keep going down the dystopian thought path, individual security is quite important. We have to have this kind of privacy. I think it's just a non-negotiable. There's a lot of benefits to having privacy in the technology solutions that we're using. Are there any trade-offs, whether it's technical or social, that comes from having this private financial system? You know, we briefly mentioned bad actors taking advantage of privacy in the system, but are there other concerns around security or composability? Mm, Yeah, yeah. So I think one of the first things that we should always talk about in this discussion is, of course, making sure that we can find ways to keep bad actors out of the ecosystem. Because the reality is the ultimate issue, if we go really deep in the weeds here, is that there are things that people can exploit in the ecosystem to steal money, whether that be bridges or centralized exchanges. There's still tech that's in its infancy that is being attacked. And I think there's been, what, 13 bridge hacks in the last rolling 12 months or something. This has been insane. Another thing that we really have to consider is regulatory headwind associated with this. And so in, I don't want to call it traditional, but web two, if you will, the traditional technology stack, there's a lot of data lakes associated with the ecosystem. Facebook has a really big data lake, Equifax, the list goes on. Everybody has these data lakes where they collect, collate, and hold your data. It seems to be that a lot of law enforcement and things like this can leverage these data lakes to do investigations. Even if it's well encrypted, they can go to, let's say, Facebook and say, hey, We suspect this bad actor is on your platform and we're doing an investigation. Please hand over their private information. And probably a hot take here, but I think more than likely they'll hand it over, right? Because what are they going to do? They're not going to get an argument for your individual freedoms, right? Your civil liberties aren't a care of Facebook. And so they're just going to go, here you go. And now if we think about peer-to-peer ecosystems, zero knowledge is really powerful, right? ZK snarks, ZK starts. These things are really, really powerful. So I can actually take and individually encrypt my information. And now they don't get to skip me as the middleman of my data. They have to come to me. So if they think that 
I'm a bad actor or you're a bad actor. They have to ask you for your individual information. And I think that this is totally foreign to people in power at this exact moment. And we could see this play out in the 90s whenever strong encryption really got to an inflection point and really fascinating story around the crypto wars, which I won't bore us with today, but suffice it to say, strong encryption went out. We got access to have encrypted conversations. And actually, one of the main reasons I believe that encryption won in the public domain, if you will, is because people wanted to take and buy things on the internet with their credit card. So again, financial privacy was one of the main reasons why we got access to strong encryption. But I think that we have to focus really heavily on two facets there when it comes to regulation. One is education of the public servants that we have in government to make sure that they understand what it is we're building, why we're building it, how we're building it, so they can choose their particular regulations that suit us. Because at the end of the day, they work for us. They're the people's employees. And so we should make sure that we're properly voicing what we're doing. But then two, it's up to us on the technological side to build infrastructure that hopefully minimizes the ability for bad actors to participate in the ecosystem. So a lot of really, really interesting commentary there. And I have a few follow-up questions on that. So with law enforcement and their ability to go to these large institutions and request information, it's very much focused on something already happened and we need to go and we need to try to understand what happened here, who was involved, and if there's a way that we can resolve this. Is there on the other side of that do you think a way for law enforcement backdoors to actually prevent illegal activity, which is, I think, ultimately the pie in the sky goal is to disincentivize bad actors to begin with? I don't think so. I don't think that building backdoors into these privacy systems will work. If I had to think about what would work, I believe it would probably be something around the lines of being able to really definitively prove that you are a good actor. And Vincent regulations have things for this in the cash world already, a form 8300, for example, which is a form that you fill out anytime you receive a suspicious or a large cash payment for goods or services. So for example, if you're at a car dealership and someone comes in and buys a Toyota Corolla with some five tens and twenties, and they pay you $30,000 in cash for whatever this car may be, you're supposed to fill out this form. And then the government's going to go to that person and say, Hey, where'd you get all the cash? And they're going to say, Hopefully that they got it from whatever, a yard sale or a bake sale or some other legal way that they got it. And cash is very, very private. If I hand you an envelope of cash, no one knows what happened, right? It's a very, very private system already. And so we rely on self-reporting in that system and the regulators feel that's good enough. I wonder if there is a way to measure how effective that actually is, that self-policing following the rules of reporting. Good question. I think I was listening to, I forget what it was. Maybe it was Bankless or something like this. They were talking about all the things that we read about in the 2000s where Wachovia, which was since purchased by Wells Fargo, helped launder hundreds of billions of dollars. You know what I mean? And so is it really effective? I don't know. That's probably not my call to make, but maybe it's not as effective as we'd like it to be. But we could take and generate systems in crypto and zero-knowledge systems, for example. Let's say... I have a private balance, I could actually take and generate a zero knowledge proof that effectively shows that I have not interacted with another zero X address. So there can be an accumulator of addresses that are considered to be bad. And I could actually take and generate a proof based on this sanction list or something like this and say, that's not me. 
And in fact, I haven't gotten any funds from that particular bad actor. And so I think we could take and, you know, this self-reporting type thing and really escalate it with the really beautiful moon math that people are developing around zero knowledge. I guess relative to cash, do you think that crypto advances financial privacy or perhaps even relative to cashless payment systems? No, I think that currently we've abandoned privacy as something we should work on for other economic pursuits, whether it be really cool JPEGs of rocks or another shitcoin in the world, the derivatives platform or whatever it may be. And don't get me wrong, there are some really cool and important things happening in crypto outside of privacy. I don't want to sound like I'm jaded, but I believe that people didn't really work too terribly hard on it. We had the guys over at Monero, they were working on it. And the way that they're doing it is quite effective. Same thing with the folks over at Zcash. I got a lot of respect for the people over at Zcash. They're building amazing, amazing technology. I mean, the halo and the recursive snarks and things that they're doing in cryptography is absolutely mind-boggling. I don't know how they do it, but they're developing really cool stuff and advancing that narrative. But it seems like it's not as cool and sexy to be working on these core tenant type things. And so I think it's gotten pushed to the wayside. And now we can see the ramifications of it in the news over the last 18 months, call it, where people have been basically censored by way of their crypto being tracked. I think there was a the Canadian trucker thing, they had that issue. I think they had some crypto be blocked. That was really quite a challenge for those guys. If they had privacy, it would have been really hard to censor them. And then we can see, of course, we have companies like Chainalysis, Nansen, the list goes on that are taking collecting, collating, and then like selling everybody's on-chain data to the highest bidder. Nansen's approach is really quite interesting because I've always looked at DeFi from the lens of finance. I went to a conference and they were handing out these sleep blinds. I don't know what they're called, but face masks that keep the light out. And it said, don't sleep on alpha, which is absolutely an incredible pun. Shout out to their marketing people whoever's doing that. But it's also really dubious because they're taking and collecting and selling people's alpha to others. I would say that, no, it's absolutely going down almost the wrong path. And I feel like we have to course correct in order to get the privacy that we need for the dream to be realized. I guess it's so interesting to talk about this topic because a lot of people view crypto as more private than cash, I think in many ways because of the different narratives that have been pushed out via the news, via the media. But no, it's not at all private. And it's actually way more transparent than transacting in cash. The cash is definitely by far more private. And it's easy to describe in that there is no decentralized ledger that's really accurate to the, I don't know, the 16th digit in the decimal of what cash is where in the ecosystem. I have no idea how much cash you have at your house. Not a clue. It's way more private. We have a decentralized ledger. We have all these really great tools to just go and look it up. You know what I mean? And then people made it easier. The zero X address was pseudonymous, but the network effect doxes that. So if we ever go out for drinks and I repay you and eat, you now have access to where for sure I own that address, right? And so now with the proliferation of crypto and more and more people use it, especially in the peer-to-peer ecosystem, it gets easier and easier to assemble that web. But we made it even easier. Like we bought ENSs with our name on it. (laughs) Yeah, it's definitely way less private. Who else is doing interesting work in the privacy space? And does each team have a different take on privacy compared to your perspective on privacy? What does that general landscape look like? There's definitely a couple of people going after the DeFi privacy narrative. So, of course, we talked about Monero, Zcash, 
Those guys are doing a really great job developing privacy-first blockchains, which is really, really cool. I'm a huge fan more so of Zcash just because I, I think the technology is really, really fascinating and like the moon math that those guys are able to do and the fact that they have a zero-knowledge ecosystem that doesn't require a trusted setup. All these things are really, really cool. I think most teams that are building recursive ZK Snark technology are building some sort of privacy tech. And so I think one of the most interesting names in privacy that perhaps doesn't get enough credit is Polygon. So a lot of people don't know, but Polygon is building all sorts of different things. They have, I think it's Hermes, right? Or Hermes or however you pronounce it. I've heard it a bunch of different ways in a bunch of different conferences, but Hermes. And they have Jordi and his team on that. And I have a huge amount of respect for those guys. And they're building some really cool privacy tech. You have the folks over at Aztec who are building a privacy-centric layer two. You know, it seems that their go-to-market is to build privacy bridges into various dApps on the main chain. Of course, you have Railgun. You have the folks over at Offshift, for example. They're building away still, which is great to see. And so we're starting to see a lot of different takes, a lot of nuanced differences. Mina, for example, they're doing the ZK apps. I think they call them, I wish I knew what they're called, Zaps, maybe. If not, maybe I'll make a posit to their marketing team to call it Zaps because they're cool. But yeah, they're making these zero-knowledge apps where they can have privacy on the app side. It seems that they're doing it more for scaling purposes, but privacy is a quasi side effect, if you will. The really cool side effect of zero knowledge is that there's privacy. And so if we think about it from just zero knowledge, that number of teams working on this kind of thing really expands. It's cool to see all this activity. I feel like especially with ZK Rollups in the last year or so, we've seen a lot of teams start to really talk more about what they're building on. Taking a slight turn, I'm curious for you, when you're talking to your friends or your family or people that you meet for the first time about what it is that you work on, do you tend to find that they are like, oh yeah, privacy, that's super important. And you know, I think we should all have it. Or are they like, oh, I don't know, never really thought about it. So I'm in my 30s. I have some friends who are slightly older than me. And from that point forward, those people really appreciate privacy. I think it's weighing in popularity for younger folks, but it's really hit and miss. Most people understand the importance of having privacy around their individual identifiable data. This is really, really quite important to most people. The best win for privacy in general in recent history has been Apple telling the federal government to pound sand that they're not giving them a backdoor into iPhones. That was a huge win for a corporation standing up for privacy and saying, no, no we're not going to take and give you backdoors into our phones. I think we're seeing some light at the end of the tunnel, especially when it comes to general data protection. But then the fallout around the recent sanctions around Tornado Cash has really stirred up a frenzy around crypto privacy and the importance of privacy around people's financial data. And so, yeah, I'm really hopeful that people in government will see it as a really good thing. In fact, me and a cohort of mine from the Railgun core team, we went to DC to talk with some Hill staffers and it was good fun to talk about privacy and the importance of it. And yeah, there's definitely some people in government that get it and appreciate that in order for these systems to have a future, they have to have some semblance of privacy. If we look at the history of encryption, if you're really fascinated in this story, I would tell you to read all the different things around crypto wars. I think Wired did an article on this in 1993 or something like that. So ages ago, 
we discussed what's happening in the crypto wars and people are taking and building open source encryption standards and releasing them into the public. And the government was like, no, you can't do that. This is military grade encryption that you're giving to the public. And if you want to export this, you have to have a permit, if you will. And they're like, no, this is just math. We're just doing math and we're going to multiply these large prime numbers together in spite of you. Sorry. And so they did. And it was good. It allowed us to have encryption that we appreciate today when we do VoIP calls, the one we're on today, or Zoom or whatever it may be. When you send a message on Signal, it's encrypted and it's allowed to be. And so we definitely won that, that battle. I think it'll go well for financial privacy. It's just a matter of, of a war of attrition, I think. Hmm. It just takes time. It took like that conversation spanned eight, nine years, really. It was really the big peak of the crypto wars up until the year 2000, where they finally basically established that cryptography was something that could be open source and didn't need permits and things like that. And the rules and regulations around cryptography were relaxed. It took eight, nine years. And in crypto, I think we're so used to speed running that it's painful to hear that something could take 10 years to sort out. But yeah, it could be a long battle. Yeah, yeah. No, that's good perspective to have when we're thinking about progress for where we are today with the industry. And you briefly touched on this earlier. So there's also this exploration of how ZK or privacy also applies to identity. Do you think that identity as we know it, which is this is me, one name, I have this ID, do you think that's going to have to evolve as we work with technologies like crypto and a person can have many, many addresses, maybe a person online has many identities. I always like to reflect it to more, I need to find a different word for this, but more traditional things. And so we have many faces, all of us actually. So for example, let's say you go to a restaurant and you have a nut allergy, right? You're probably going to tell the, the waiter or waitress that you have a nut allergy and please don't give me any nuts unless you want to see me die in this restaurant. But you're probably not going to hand them the entirety of your medical records. You know what I mean? And so we already self-select the us that we show to others. So for example, we have a very special us that's ironically held in these very large data lakes that basically helps lenders decide whether or not we're a good fit for a loan or not. It's called a credit score. And we don't share that with everybody. In fact, we're very, very, hopefully, very selective around who we share our credit information with. People on Instagram are not showing their real life, especially even me, my Instagram, if you ever find it, is pictures of my son and like my car and my car is always working and my son is always smiling. Best you can tell by the Instagram persona that I have. People don't want to be naked in the world. I don't believe that. We self-select and choose what we share with other people. And I can't imagine, I'm married now, but I can't imagine being in the dating world and having everything on a public ledger and then people just already knowing everything about you. It's just, where's the romance? <laughs> That's a really helpful way to frame it, where we are self-selecting for who we are showing to different people. And here's what's really important. We can have more granularity with it, which I think is really, really cool. Because that's the whole point of zero knowledge is I can prove that something is true without revealing extraneous information. Did your interest in these themes inspire Railgun? I don't know if I've actually told this story yet. So my background's more in the traditional finance space. We set up companies in the Cayman Islands and the Turks and Caicos to warehouse like insurance premiums and do all sorts of stuff like that. And you have a lot of secret sauce, if you will, right? 
And so like the way we invest our money, the way we take and we set up our companies, these kind of things, this is really important and proprietary. In other words, private. <laughs> Privacy is really important in traditional finance. And so fast forward to 2017, 18, something like that. I was participating in some private chat groups where people would talk about the different shit coins and things that they were in. And people would say, oh, I'm in token X, Y, and Z. Oh man, did you hear about this one? I'm first hundred holders of this token, whatever it may be, right? And so I actually had somebody like reach out to me, slide into my DMs, if you will, and say, hey man, I saw you're in such and such position. What made you buy that? And I'm thinking to myself, how in the hell does this guy know that I'm in this particular token? I had no idea. And long story short, he was like tracking my wallet. So I became aware of this just before the DeFi summer, if you will. And so I created a bunch of wallets and tried to make myself harder to track. And it was just more from a creep standpoint. I didn't want people to just spy on me and my individual financial data. I thought that was really just overt. Also, it was, if I'm being really, really honest about it, it was also more about, I didn't want people to know the bad tokens that I had bought. I didn't want people to see that I had been rugged. You know what I mean? It was almost like an ego thing. My privacy journey started there. It got all the more intensified whenever Railgun came into my career, if you will. And I traveled around. I've gone to a lot of different conferences and I've talked to people about privacy and crypto and the way it works and what it means to be on a public decentralized blockchain. And I think that I've become more and more and more aware that people conflate the pseudonymous nature of their 0x address with actual privacy. And so I think we have a long way to go when it comes to education. A lot of people don't understand crypto in my immediate circle. The vast majority of people still don't understand a lot about peer-to-peer -peer crypto. They maybe have some crypto that they bought on Coinbase or Robinhood or something like this, maybe PayPal or hell, Cash App. I think you buy crypto there, but like, they don't actually use it. It's just a speculative thing to them. And most people assume it is private. And that is probably the most shocking thing to me. When I tell them, oh, we're working on privacy tech, they're like, well, isn't it private already? No, it's not. It's a decentralized public ledger. It's the exact opposite, in fact. What would you say is the main overarching goal that you all have at Railgun? We want to be able to build systems that allow other builders to integrate privacy in their solutions. So I guess you could say that Railgun is building privacy infrastructure. We've developed effectively a developer kit that allows people to utilize the, we call it a zero ZK address. And this zero ZK address uses ZK snarks and cryptography and a little bit of smart contract logic to allow users to take and basically build a private wallet and then transact with that private wallet in the space. Our goal in terms of our long-term vision is to build privacy infrastructure that is not really compromising on security. It doesn't rely on any sort of layer two or like bridging. And it's also really friendly for other developers to use. So they don't have to like change their core logic of their smart contract system in order to integrate it. They can just do arbitrary smart contract calls. And this is all really technical, but the point I'm getting at really is that we want it to be easy to have privacy because at this point, it's been incredibly difficult for people to have privacy. A lot of people would do what I was doing, which was create a bunch of different wallets. In other words, explode their net worth into a bunch of different wallets. But this gets really challenging when it comes to tax season and you have to go through and itemize out all these different things. Or maybe you use a centralized exchange to break the chain of custody of two separate wallets or something like this. There's not really been a good way that people could just have privacy and do DeFi and that's what we're after. What would you say are the most important problems that 
people need to solve in the near term? And what kinds of skills or what kinds of people need to help work on those problems? Um, I think in the near future, when it comes to privacy, the most actually, but crypto in general, if you work in this ecosystem, if you are invested in the ecosystem, if you have, I don't know, a cursory appreciation for it, I think that we really need to make sure that we are very effectively communicating what it is that we want and need to the public servants that serve us, whether that be in Congress, in our local governments. I think it's really, really important that people very immediately and with good frequency communicate with people in government around them because they're there to serve us. And so if we aren't a squeaky wheel, people don't know to give the wheel grease, if you will. And so if they don't know it's a problem, then they can't possibly fix it. And so I think if we need anything immediately, it's a lot more voices of reason in the ears of people who create regulations because we talked about today, for example, privacy is very pragmatic. It's very much so needed for a whole myriad of reasons, whether it be for business, whether it be for personal, governments even need privacy. And so taking and having these conversations and having the actual rationale around why we're building what we're building out there to regulators is going to be really, really important. So if you work in this space and you want to get involved in that kind of thing, I would suggest joining some sort of association, like maybe the Blockchain Association. I'm a huge fan of those guys. They're doing some really great work in D.C., the more people that we can get involved in talking about it, the better for everyone in this industry, for sure. If there are people who are listening who are interested in Railgun and want to learn more or want to get involved, where could they go find out? Yeah, so obviously we're on Twitter. You can follow us there. We have a great Telegram group, which I really thoroughly enjoy. It's called the Church of Railgun. We got some really great moderators and community in there who are always eager to answer questions. We are looking for contributors as well. So if you are a developer and you want to build really cool, complicated ZK Snark tech, feel free to slide into our DMs on Twitter. I really appreciate you coming on. It was so great to chat. And yeah, hopefully we'll get you back on soon. Yeah, yeah. Thanks for having me.